and got me very drunk on um, various types of red wine. Um, it's great. He's a great talker. They're both really interesting people, um, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy the episode. So without further ado, do, let's just uh, jump right in. Yeah. I so, feel like that's like a prog people thing to do. To it like probably is a prog people thing to do. They they it's because when we first moved in, the guy's like, "Well, you guys mind in my band pool?" You know, you're like, "No, no, we're we're cool." With that. And I had explained to him, "I'm like, you know, I'm in the Dead Milkman. I you'll hear stuff coming out of this house. It'll curdle your blood." <laughs> a really nice guy. He's the, he's the drummer, and the, yeah, they're they're pretty tight. It could be worse. I mean, there's a ton of bands that you know I I would live next to. I would hang myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you find me swinging from the rafters. If I lived next door to Animal Collective, I would kill them. And then I'd kill them. <laughs> in my neighborhood, like, because um, like I live in Grace Ferry and stuff, mm. and they only call the cops on us when we listen mm. to like country or rap. Really, <laughs> rap will do it. In Gra- well, no, Grace Ferry, considering the makeup there, yeah, country or rap. Uh, when I lived in Maniunk before I got gentrified. Um, it was, I mean, it was super rough. Yeah, now you go there, it's like yoga studios and, you know, vegan hunting or something. I not, don't know. Not, too, not too much outside of the... No, once you go into Roxburgh, it's scary as shit. But the, no, uh, but I mean like Main Street, mainly. Main Street? No, no, no. You go back a bit. It's all gentrified now. Really? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. I grew up in Mount Airy of Ed... Beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't we honeymoon there? That was classy. They got they got beds shaped like champagne flutes. <laughs> they only hold one person at a time. It's a rough ass, rough rough ass honeymoon. If you're if you're alone in a giant champagne flute, you just gotta <laughs> squeeze in. Oh, there you go. Uh-huh. I got porn on every channel. <laughs> A TV set set shaped like a heart. I remember Mount Airy Lodge. Okay, sorry, but you grew up in Mount Airy. But yeah, like Roxborough was like pretty rough. Like, Roxborough's always yeah. been rough. We were cutting a record there when we were in Burnwich Burn, and uh, um, we went the wrong way down the street, and this guy's like, wrong way, asshole. And he's like, it's like guy. It was like a five-year-old girl. No, the little kid, no, the kid <laughs> was next to him. No, the kid next to him was going, huh, huh. it was like out deliverance. Like, huh, huh. oh my God, <laughs> it was frightening. But I lived in Maniunk before it got gentrified, and we were, this was back in the 80s, and we were like playing Black Flag or something, and the neighbors came over and shot out our windows. So we had to like dive down on the floor while they fired on us, and yeah, they robbed us and everything. Now it's so weird down there, it's completely different. Yeah, it's like it's pretty pretty full full yup. Yeah, point. it's totally it's gentrified as as all get out. So if you're not wearing a fedora and like riding around on a fixie, they throw you out of there. Sad. Really. If you don't have like at least twenty six pairs of tongs. There you, you know? go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm wearing my Crocs today because I just don't care. God. I'm a rebel. Um. But so, okay, I guess, like, to jump into interviewing, um... You have questions written on a piece of bubblegum wrapper down in the street. (laughs) I got some shitty notes. Ask Um, me questions you would ask, like, Kanye or whatever, and then we'll go around. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I mean, if I'm gonna, like, start with, like, the Kanye line of Wait, no, who would I like to be? Who would I... I'm trying to think, if I could be, if I could be, like, another musician, who would I... uh, uh, I'm trying to think, like, who would I... I love the way that you, you ask yourself... 
Well, no, but I'm just wondering. Questions. Well, no, but it's just dawned on me right now. Like, if I could do, I, like, I could totally do this interview. Like, Stephen Archer's pretty cool. I could do it as Stephen Archer from Ego Likeness. I could do it fairly, but Stephen would kind of get, he'd start drawing during it. And he wouldn't, I could do this as caustic perfectly. Um, but I'm trying to think of, like, who else I can imitate fairly well in an interview. But I'm not good at being myself. So, yeah, so if you have anybody else you'd like me to, to be, I can probably do it. I even do old 80s artists like Mojo Nixon. Well, let me tell you about that time that we were all drinking. <laughs> I have many skills. Well, yeah, I mean, you can adapt whichever person. I'll do, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. Know, I'm like Peter Brady with no personality. Pork chops and apple shot. All right, well, ask me, ask me a question. We'll see where it goes. All right, so like, I know you're from around here, but where exactly did you grow Not up? Not from around here, actually. I, uh, I well... My planet, I'm moving something, is located here, and the Earth is over here. Uh, no, um, I'm from a steel town about hour and uh, hour, hour and a half west of here called Coatesville. Murder, uh, murder capital of Pennsylvania. Yeah, people say that immediately. The interview's over. All right, this interview's done. <laughs> My dad's from Phoenixville. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they, there's still that awesome uh, movie theater out in Phoenixville. And is it Mel- is Melissa? No, Melissa's from Pottstown. That's right. I keep thinking she's from Phoenixville. I think Phoenixville's getting gentrified too now. Everywhere's getting gentrified. You can't go. Like people might toward like the Midwest and they're like, oh my god, we're in these little towns in the Midwest and they were totally like literally like hipsterized. It's because hipsterism has corporate funding. You know, the the way hippies did towards the end of the sixties, early seventies, where everybody's like, let's all wear flared pants and now, you know, hipsters immediately corporations latched onto them. HBO's girls. Here, live like this. I would rather live like the people in Game of Thrones than live like the fuckers in HBO's girls. So you're so you're down with uh, incest and beheadings? Yeah, I, well, it's better than it's better than the incest and beheading on HBO's girls. Although if they beheaded them, I would totally I would totally be down with that. Yeah, that would really. Bring this has not been the best. Um, the, well, Game of Thrones, I really stumbled upon the first season. I thought, oh, this isn't going to be good, but I can't sleep. And I'm like, this is really good. I haven't been happy about this season. But I do. Most musicians that you interview will never admit to watching TV. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm busy sitting around the fire reading the works of George Bernard Shaw. I don't have a television. I know, yeah. We uh, watch some VHSs occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. yeah but we don't really know. <laughs> I, you know that, with the exception of like saying that I was I, I was reading in front of a fireplace, I was like that. I, I never had a TV before, uh, before you. Interesting. I mean, it, once, you have, once, you're, once you're in a relationship with me, you need a television. <laughs> it just needs something to distract you from the, the horror that is, and then I'm always amazed at this. Like I, I, I have to have constant input, or I go kind of wacky. And I, I, and I've come up with when I was a kid, I was watching an interview with Alice Cooper, and Alice Cooper was talking about how he said he was saying I should watch more TV. I mean, I was young. I mean, you know, obviously Alice Cooper was relevant then, and um, and he didn't get relevant again until the Dark Shadows movie, but the. Uh, um, he was saying, he goes, he was watching the Bowery Boys. And he said, you can learn something from even the worst television, like the Bowery Boys. And he asked where he came up with the song, School's Out. One of them sort of slapped the other one and went, hey, School's Out. And he thought, oh, that's... And right then I thought, I, I knew when I was young I wanted to be a songwriter, and I will watch TV, and I will take things from it. So I'm always like looking at movies or TV and thinking, like, I'm often amazed that people will see something and not turn it into a song. I just, I, I can't believe that. Yeah, I mean, I like, I love trash TV. I actually, I don't watch Game, Game of Thrones because I read the books because huh. I was like a dorky um, sci-fi teen. Well, that, that makes the best people. Yeah. I was, I was a, yeah, totally. I was a dorky Dungeons and Dragons 
Nation's team. My I wife was Magic the cool girl. Oh, you should play Malifaux. I need people to play Malifaux. I so love Malifaux. And this is going This is oh, going to sound shit. filthy. I wind up playing with myself all the time. And what did you do to the wine? I accidentally poured the wrong kind of wine in everybody's glass. Oh, you mean the kind laced with LSD that we only give to the people interviewing me? Oh, shit. Um, that's okay. Uh, I'm going to go lay down. What? You're right. No, sit. Sit, no, sit, no, sit. No, we need no. you as a catalyst for no. this. Uh, no. Yeah, yes, so, yeah. no, so Malifaux is like the greatest game ever, but uh, we got my wife to play Dungeons and Dragons once because we, years back, we recreated what um, life was like in the late 70s with all my friends from high school and stuff on New Year's Eve. We recreated what it was like. So we had everybody over like drinking beer and playing Dungeons and Dragons. And it turned out my wife uh, was better at it than any of us. So I was, I was I really. <laughs> yeah, she totally killed. She played us like an elf, uh, half elf thief. I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. I've had like a couple of groups of friends that have like started trying to get. I have together. more Dungeons and Dragons stuff because of all the stuff <laughs> from when I was a kid. I have more than you'll ever see. I have all the original books. I should just charge people to look at the stuff I have. It's actually really good. Yeah, what's good? The combo. Yeah. <laughs> combo wine. You made a brotherhood wine. I combined German and French wine. Those two countries get along. They should be fine. And so. <laughs> so, like, Coatesville. Yeah. Um, growing up in Coatesville, yeah. were you a weirdo? Like, Yeah, I got. Be- I was like the shortest kid in school. I got beat up every day. Um, I'm pretty much on a regular schedule. It was like, yeah, <laughs> oh, third period. Got to go get beat up now. And, uh, um, yeah, it was, it, every, every, all my friends were all the outcasts and weirdos. My one friend, one of my best friends, actually, it's odd, two of my best friends, would later on come out as gay. And it was one of those things where everybody knew. You know what I mean? It's like in yeah. uh, the Kids in the Hall made a great film called Brain Candy. And this guy's like, I'm gay. I'm like, yeah, we know, okay? Your family knows, stranger. Dogs in the street know. And, uh, um, you know, it's just all the weirdos would eventually sort of conjugate, you know, the heads. It's like years later, my, my brother-in-law got into the show Freaks and Geeks, and he kept saying, watch this. This is what it was like for us when we were younger. And I finally got around and watched my Holy shit, that's my life, yay! <laughs> so, yeah, that's, if you want to see what life was like in the 70s, Freaks and Geeks nails it. So so that's actually pretty on point. I was, it is, yeah, surprisingly on point. I was a Freaks and Geeks fan. You were a big uh, Freaks and Geeks fan? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I actually had to live it. I guess it was less fun if you lived it. But yeah, I didn't have a girlfriend, I think, until I was in my, my senior year or something. And she'd already gone, she was a year older than me, so she'd already left. So like having an imaginary girlfriend in many ways. And uh, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, but I mean, I think that, Builds better people. I, I mean, I, I think generally that's the case. Was there like, was your household like musical? Like, were your do your parents think? Your my dad, my you? dad played the accordion really well, but he stopped playing it by the time his parents sold it. My, when my dad went on his honeymoon. He came back and, and he said, "Went to get his accordion," and he's like. Where's my accordion? My grandparents are like, oh, we sold that because you were away. It's like, it's my honeymoon for Christ's sake. Which is kind of sad. My parents did the same thing. I know. To me. I was thinking. Yeah, that my not. parents did the same thing with me with a swinger with a drum kit that I had, which is really expensive. I, and I'm like, oh yeah, and it's about everything I've ever owned. Yeah, and also that's why Steve got my. I had a I had a Fox uh, a, a Box Continental, which is the keyboard I always wanted. And I was in Lawrence, Kansas, which is the town that gets nuked in the day after. <laughs> and I was in a music store. They have one there. I'm like, how much for the, uh, the box? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's probably too much, but 100 no, $75. I'm like, I think I can swing that. 
I think I spent more on booze that night. And I bought it. I, I brought it out on stage that night. I'm like, look what the fuck I just got. And I had all my keyboard. I was, again, like Rick Wakeman. I had everything stacked up. And, you know, I used to... And it's odd, because that's all the people I, I hang out with now and play and everything. Well, we, all, we all play keyboards. No, I don't hang out with Rick Wakeman. No, I do not hang out with Rick Wakeman. I wish I hung out. Can we just get that... On the record, I wish I hung out with Rick Wakeman. I was, I was, I, was, I wish I hung out with Joan Jett. She's hot. I would hang out with Joan Jett in a heartbeat, if you pardon the pun, but um, <laughs> and a black heartbeat. Um, yeah. But um, I'm trying to think, like, who would be like? Well, David Bowie dies. The only musician I really want to hang out with. Uh, let me think. I used to have like a list of people I wanted to meet, and then I started meeting them. And it kind of ruined the list. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm trying to think, who who don't I know? Gary Newman. You know, that would be... My friend Kelly and I went looking for him when we were in L.A. because he he, hang, he lives in her neighborhood and he often goes to the park near there. And he, Kelly lives way up the hill whereas Gary lives in a better house. And I'm like, I don't care how tired I am because I've been out the night before having this wild night. And uh, um, you've heard about the night. I've heard, yeah. yeah. And uh, um, not so wild that we wouldn't be married after the night. <laughs> and uh, um, But I, I got back to the hotel and we found out that our manager only had the hotel booked Till noon that day, and we had an exit. Like, ah. So my friend Kelly saved my life, and we went looking for Gary Newman, who is, to me, probably one of the most famous people I can think of. I mean, to me, it used to be David Bowie, Gary Newman. You know, just there's just a certain level of, of, of fame. Like, wow, what would I do if I met that person? I would die right here. And it, <laughs> it backfired on me once because for years I used to make these tweets. It was me and Amanda Palmer, but I didn't know Amanda, and I'd just take a picture of me. And you couldn't see their side. Me hanging out with Amanda Palmer, but I don't know Amanda Palmer. So, and then I just started pretending I knew her in these tweets. And it turns out our friend Kyle's been friends with her for years. So I was sending these joke tweets like, you know, they were, Amanda and Neil were in town. Like Amanda and Neil, this will be great. We'll hang out, we'll have wine. And then I get this thing. I'm on my way home from. I get this tweet from Amanda that says, Hey Rodney, let's meet, let's eat, let's hang out. And it takes like a second to sink in because you're like, uh. But I'm a big fan. I, I like everything that happened when Grunge died. You got like these great bands like Rasputina and the Dresden Dolls, and there's that great sort of overturning of, uh, um, of music. So that, that, that time period always fascinates me. Yeah, I think Amanda Palmer's pretty cool. Um, I have a list of cool people. Uh, I think that um, oh, uh, um, Melora Krieger from Rasputina is one of the coolest people probably walking the earth. And we were going to play a show with Rasputina, and uh, she had a canceled. I just wanted to play with Rasputina since the 90s. And she canceled, had a canceled last minute, had an emergency. And I was so depressed. And our manager kept sending us bands. Like, how about these guys? And they were like, every, every alt-rock indie band that I hated and have wanted to kill for years. I'm like, I'm like, if you send me one more of these, you will not be safe no matter where you go.
First music was made on a, I think on bark and twig. I had yeah. My first my first music carved onto a, a cape wall. The first thing I owned was a Motown song called Heat Wave. Okay. Yeah. Whenever you're with him, something inside starts me burning, and I'm filled with desire. I don't have my voice tonight. Um, well, never really did. Um, I loved like Martha and the Vandellas and all that stuff growing up, and so that um, that was the first. Um, that was the first probably 45 I, I, I owned. So I got older and albums came out. I owned some probably embarrassing, terrible albums. So you, yeah. go, you go through let's, that period let's, before. Let's yeah. that. <laughs> well, there's a period before, uh, and I owned some great stuff. I owned Frank Zappa's Joe's Garage when it first came out. I loved Zappa. Growing up, I, I, was, I had the good luck. My older sister had terrible taste in music. So she loved all the stuff that's popular now, like the Grateful Dead, Fleetwood Mac, and stuff like that. But she accidentally would buy Cream Magazine every now and then. And she had a copy of Cream Magazine that had the Dead Boys in it. And I'm like, who are these? They're called the Dead Boys. I'm like, are they in good shape? Well, they're not a good band like Fleetwood Mac. Nowadays, like, I see like young people are in the Fleetwood Mac. I just want to stomp the shit out of them. That's what my mom says. I'm like totally in the Fleetwood Mac. No, stop it. It's horrible. But my mom's like, if you knew. I know, they're terrible. It's like the worst music ever. Like the only thing, the only redeeming quality for Fleetwood Mac is that um, on American Horror Story, Stevie Nicks turned up for an episode. But that, I mean, I just... That was the music we all rebelled against. That's the reason there was the clash. That's the, you know the reason I went searching and stuff with that because it was kind of dull and it was kind of and I was like, there's got to be something more than this. And at that time, I think I was about 13. My parents were like, get your ass down here right now. So I come running downstairs and the Sex Pistols were on TV. I'm like, this is great. And I'm like, <laughs> it is. It's really good because the Sex Pistols. I remember Johnny Rotten had. Uh, they were trying to interview them. And he was like, I ain't giving you no fucking interview unless I get 10 fucking dollars. And my parents thought it was hilarious. And they were, you know, my parents, these were guys with short hair and leather jackets. My parents grew up in the 50s. They, I just kicked the table. For those of you listening in, I just kicked the table. We're having some wine. And, uh, um, yeah, I wish Vienna, Vienna, Vienna actually saved my life musically because uh, um, I'm a punk married to a goth. And I kind of stopped listening to stuff around the time, What? Oh, she's yelling at the cats. For those of you listening in, my wife is having a conversation with our two strange black cats who are named Lenore and Ligia after the Edgar Allan Poe stories. Um, They're both yelling at me while I'm getting ganged up on. Uh-oh. We all know how terrible that can be. <laughs> Sit down. Sit down, Waldo. Um, no, we were talking about she actually listens to Fleetwood Mac when we were yelling at There's so much great stuff out there. If I was young now, I can't believe young people listen to old music. There's, you're living in a golden age of underground music. Well, you, well, no, wait, hold on. There's bands like Three Teeth, 
There's, you know, uh, there's you bands like Youth Motown? Code. What? You listen to Motown. I grew up listening to Motown. There's, I, I don't stop, but I know. Fleetwood Mac. No, well, but no, no, but I should listen. I grew up yeah, listening yeah. to the Grateful Dead because my parents are uh, shitty. Dead. I was, I was <laughs> shit. You should. I, I so want to call Child Protective Services right now. Oh, they just been at festivals. There's pictures of oh. me in tie dye shirts as a baby. I had to overcome <laughs> a lot, you know. Oh. <laughs> I um, when I was 17, 16 or sixteen. Friend of mine won tickets um, to see the Grateful Dead, but she didn't even enter the contest. Like, hey, you've won tickets. You know? <laughs> I go, oh, yeah, whatever. He won free tickets, so we all went. There's three of us, and uh, um, we all went, and we hated it. And we were remember now. This is about the time we're all getting into the Clash, we're all getting into you know, the Pistols and everything. And so uh, back then, that this was held at the Spectrum back in the day. We're probably the reason the damn place fell apart. <laughs> they used to sell at the Spectrum 32 ounces of, of Coke. And I don't mean, you know, the snorting kind, Coca-Cola. Yes. Um, and this big thing, it was like a drink with a tide. It was, it was great. And for a dollar. So we bought a bunch of them. We went way for up into the dollar. rafters. Yeah. Jesus well, we went up into the rafters and we just started dropping them on these hippies below. Like, <laughs> and you can hear it. It was like a bomb. It whistled us. It went down. Boom. boom. And I'm like, hey, sunshine. How'd you like that? Here you go, cloud. Yeah, boom. I realized I, you know, I probably got a lot of stuff back at me over the years. I think, you know, I probably deserve this. When I was, I went to see the Stones once, and I pegged the lead singer from Journey in the head with a can, and I was so happy about that. And then years later, as you were at that show, on, I was. Uh, you were no, not that show because you weren't, but you were at the show where I got hit with the bottle. I and was. the first thing I thought when I when I got hit with the bottle, Vienna, uh, we were playing a show out on Victoria Island in Canada, and I flown. We were still we were engaged back then. I flown around for these shows and. All the shows turned out to be insane, and I got hit with a bottle and just started bleeding. My thing is, if you're bleeding, just keep going. In fact, it's part of the show. But I thought, this is, I wonder if the guy from Journey's in the audience, and he threw that. <laughs> Make fun of Wheel in the Sky now, will you? You really didn't want to put Journey on in front of the Stones back in the 70s. That was a painful yeah. show anyway. So Journey was opening for the Stones. Yeah, it was George Thurgood. And then Journey. And I, then I actually like George Thurgood. I have a lot of good things to say about George Thurgood. Yeah, nice I guy. I like George Thurgood yeah. too. Journey is possibly my like most hated old rock band. No, Journey is it's hard. Mario Speed. It's hard to hate things more than Journey. I don't know. Mario Speedwagon like, Journey. I feel like Mario Speedwagon. Like, I think growing up in that like, era. Nobody, nobody's still playing Mario mm. Speedwagon. Thank anymore, God. But there are. <laughs> That's still... this is the way I feel when I see shit like 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 Mumford and Sons and stuff like that, like Best Coast and Beach House. And I think this is like the sort of stuff we would have dismissed back in the day as easy listening. And there's again, you know, hey. You know, go go buy Three Teeth, go buy Youth Code. You know, get a Caustic record, uh, Unwoman. You know, I think right now, now I've always I, I want to shake the shit out of women and go. There are all these great artists out there you should listen to. Listen to Donna from Ego Likeness, who I think is one of the best totally. lyricists and she, stuff. Oh like my that. god, Donna Amazing. Donna from Ego Likeness is a genius, and uh, um, we've been we've been we, we first saw them about like fifteen years ago, and uh, um, I've been a big fan of theirs. I have tons of stuff on on my iPod and everything. And uh, I was playing a show with Caustic, and you can never tell him. He knows everybody. Matt Caustic knows. And it's just like you have pictures of him with Youth Co. You have pictures. Oh, I know. You know and, and he doesn't realize how cool this is. And he thinks like my old stories from the punk rock days are cool. And I think his new shit is cool. So it's you know. And he's, he sent me an email. He goes, oh yeah, Ego Likeness will be playing with us. And I thought he was kidding. And I, I wrote back, not realizing that he copied them on it. I go, you couldn't get a pin up my asshole with a sledgehammer. And he's like, well, I could try. By the way, they're copied on it. So there was this awkward <laughs> silence. And it turned out we, they 
been some of my best friends ever since. I met them about two years ago, and it was like sort of life changing thing where they're they've been great sources of wisdom and just what everybody I've met. And the new music scene now has been just what back in the day people were assholes. Like a lot of the punk rock people, you wanted to throttle them right there, you know. Like I thought we were fighting against rock stars, but you're acting like a rock star. You will die in my hands. <laughs> interesting times. Uh, I don't even know where we went. Oh, so you're asking about the first record I bought, but I, I did own terrible, terrible stuff like uh, um Kansas. I think I owned at one point I owned, like the Dust in the Wind record. I because everybody's that prog rock period. But, well, right. you know, at least I do. When I, was young. I love to this day. I love Rush. I fucking love Rush's Witch Hunt. I'm trying to get uh, Brian from Velvet Acid Christ and Kristoff. Like seriously, I did a remix, a reworking of it. I covered it myself. And I sent him like cover Rush's Witch Hunt. That is a lyrically, it's an amazing song and it fits now. Um, I've seen Rush in concert when I was younger a couple times. I'm lucky I saw Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio. I had every Black Sabbath album. Um, to this day, Sabbath Boy Sabbath is still my favorite. Dio, he's... Dio was a, god, was a god walking the earth with a gun for a dick. He's a good Italian, he's <laughs> a good Italian boy. He's a good Italian boy, yeah. Well, that's where the devil horns come from. That was something his, his mother would do, and he just picked it up. Yeah. yeah, Ronnie James Dio had an incredible voice, so I was lucky I saw that, but... Um, I think Sammy Hagar opened up that show. It didn't go well for Hagar. We just have a bunch of shows. Like when, when Blondie opened up for Rush. I love Blondie, but yeah, it didn't go well opening for Rush. <laughs> I saw a lot of horrendous concerts when I was young. I didn't get to see, my mom got to see Bowie at the, at the Tower. And she's on that live album, Screaming, I guess, with my older sister. But I was 11, so I didn't get to go to that show. But I did get to go see Yes in the Round. So your well. mom took your little sister, or your baby my older sister, sister to, to see, see Bowie. That's so sick. Uh-huh. Oh, it, it was. I mean, he was back then. There weren't a lot of distinctions, and my mom loved his music. So my dad ever. I had a Bowie. I'm the world's biggest David Bowie fan. So yeah. there was. Well, yeah, maybe <laughs> she thinks she is, but we. No, we all no, I, 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 I mean. I don't know. Every I, whenever I, I a lot of songs that I do, if I I don't do a lot of stuff on my own, but it starts from the idea of, and this was a, a thing I say, what would Bowie do? And I just I had the Bowie poster on my wall growing up. I loved everything he did. Um, me and some friends did a cover of TVC One Five, was my favorite Bowie song. I just I, I I'm absolutely I, I feel bad for young people who don't have a David Bowie. You should have a David Bowie. You know, maybe the guy from Mr. Strange is our David Bowie of the future. I don't know. Oh, also, I'm plugging this seriously. Okay, you've got to listen to this. Rain, R-E-I-N. She's the most punk rock girl walking the planet. Uh, she had a new song called I Don't Get Nothing But Shit From You. Um, it is fantastic. You should Anything she does is, I, I play her on my radio show all the time, or I have, try to as often as she pops up with something. I'm, I think she's like sort of future of music. All right, all right. We'll get back. Wow, I went a long way around that question about what was your first... Music that you No, bought. that's perfect. That's good. I appreciate the digression. Um, when did you start playing music? The uh, uh, first things I started playing were, like, there were guitars laying around. My sister, my oldest, she played violin, and then she got a guitar, and she didn't want to play it. And she played it a little bit, but she left it around. So I took the guitar, but I didn't really, pre-internet, you couldn't figure out, you know, you had a Mel Bay book, you really couldn't figure out how to play this stuff. And I got kind of okay with it. Not great. To this day, if I pick, if I pick up my guitar, I have the greatest guitar on earth. Down in our basement, I have a Washburn acoustic. My wife was wise enough to stop me from picking up the guitar and steer me back towards the keyboards where I belong. Um, but I had that, and I was in a class in junior high or something, like a guitar class. And I had like the nylon string guitars. And there's one girl who was absolutely horrible and was obsessed with John Denver. 
and she would try to do country road like one chord every three minutes, like country road. And let me say something. We thought it was funny being guys in junior high when she would say country road. Like, ah. So maybe that's the birth of punk rock. I don't know. Um, but the, uh, the guy who taught the guitar class really didn't like her and didn't like a lot. So he, I used to tune the guitars, which is weird because I have no pitch hearing. But I would sit at the piano and go ding, 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 ding. And one day he said, listen, pop all the high E strings, which is a string you don't even need to play guitar. And then this will just be a study hall because I can't take her anymore. He was like, like a, you know, like a student teacher. And I was like, okay. And he said, you can just play around the piano. So that's where I got my basics of that, but I didn't do much with it. And then um, years later I started, I wish I pursued it. I started, I, I took apart a metal detector and made like a synthesizer out of it. And I really, I really liked electronics and stuff like that. And I tried to, somebody, a friend of mine stole a, a little organ thing out of a church and I had that and I tried to hook the two up. And, and that's when I first ran into Joe and Joe had gone to college and I was trying to find ways to make sounds electronically. I wish to shit I hadn't got diverted into things. I'd probably been way ahead on electronic music much more than I am now. You know, but uh, um, so that those are the sort of first sort of instruments. I play a lot of weird shit. You know, I I play hurdy gurdy. I play uh, um, bodrin. There's a weird instrument I play it. But if I pick up a guitar, I can get enough of an idea out of it. But yeah, we decided early on that you know Joe Joe was like, yeah, the guitar really isn't for you, and then, <laughs> which is great because he's this brilliant guitar player, totally underrated. And I try to write. I leave big gaps for guitar, and I'll say sonically. I'll, I'll put in a little guitar thing, but I'll say sonically. What do you sound? What do I want to sound like? I want you to give it in this ballpark, but you're free to do whatever the fuck you want. And he's gotten a lot noisier over the years, which is something I love. I mean, he doesn't even, you know, he just needs to touch the strings, and he'll get the. And we we get our ideas for guitar sounds out of weird places. Like, well, somebody will sit in a chair and will squeak, and we'll go back and we'll record the squeak, and we'll run it through some things. I want the guitar to sound like this. Yeah, I mean, that that stuff is, like, I I know a lot of people who are really into, like, noise music or various, like, no. experimental electronic stuff, and I think, like, watching the processes of that stuff is, like, super exciting, no. like, doing stuff with, like, oh, so, like, we've got, like, three kettles going. Yeah, on, let's like, run it through this. Like, I, I'm just, you just reach a point where you're just so bored. Why does everything have to sound like everything else? And I've been trying to do this with the, with the newest stuff. I've been, I never started from a point of percussion. I would always start from the point of, I'm sitting in front of the keyboard, there's a melody, there's a harmony, and then I just kind of throw in some percussion. And then what happens is I got hit with this wave of percussion. Chant put out Brave New Apocalypse, which was probably my favorite album of last year. Brave New Apocalypse is just amazing. Stephen Archer started doing this thing called Stoneburner, which was all percussive. I, Bard and Sphere were doing their thing, and then I was at a, um, a Stoneburner show in Detroit, and... Um, oh, uh, Servitor, which is one guy who plays drums. He's played with like Bardsphere and stuff. Got it, and it was just hypnotic. Everybody was just caught in this thing. And I thought I should go and I should start paying more attention to percussion. So that's what I do now. And Joe had actually written a song. It was the first song yeah, I think he ever wrote that didn't have guitar in it. It was all keyboard. And I thought I'm going to go and write a song that has no keyboard in it, but it's all guitar. Even the percussion move beating on hollow body guitar. So, yeah, I, I love that sort of experimentation. You get to a certain point in your life where you're like, okay, I know I can do this, this, and that. Now, now I just want to go out on a limb, and if I screw it up, at least I, you know, I went screwing it up. I, I can't stand people that remain safe. I mean, remain playing the same music, the same type of music for their entire lives. 
Yeah, yeah, it's just sort of like laurel resting. Yeah, it's it's well, it's worse than that. It's like just getting a paycheck, you know. And Bob Dylan's like 105th birthday was the other day. I was people like, oh my god, it's Bob Dylan's birthday. I'm like, he hasn't like, done what anything is in Bob 30 Dylan years. Done? Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he releases these albums of covers, and it's just like you're born with a limited number of ideas. Don't use them up early in your life. You know, but I mean, like Neil Young, on like the other hand, I feel like like he's interesting. To, like, he's very interesting. Interesting. yeah. Like, Bowie was interesting up to the day he died. Prince yeah, was interesting Prince, up to the yeah, day. Died. You know, you, you yeah. don't have to keep doing what you're doing. You know, Neil Young, that the, the soundtrack to Dead Man. I love Dead Man. Me too, me yeah. too. I mean, I love Neil Young. Yeah. Like, and I, I think, like, you know, his whole sort of, like, autistic attention to Sonic. I'm old like, enough that <laughs> I saw Russ Never Sleeps in, like, Midnight Showing. Oh, mm. that's awesome. Yeah. And again, you know, Neil Young got it. You don't, you're not writing songs about Johnny Rotten when everybody's telling you, don't mention that guy. You know, <laughs> Powderfinger is, I think, I should do an industrial version of Powderfinger. Powderfinger would be pout shelter me from the powder and the finger, cover me with the cloth that pulled the trigger. It's about a uh, a guy basically living in the worst circumstances uh, in the uh, um, uh, early 1800s, and a bunch of government revenuers come down in a, in a you know a big paddle wheeler, and he goes to get his gun. And he's got these great lines in it, like, Big John's been drinking since the river took Emmy Lou. So you fill in all that stuff. It's almost like, you know, with Springsteen, where you fill in the backstory on the characters, like, you know, uh, um, Big uh, uh, Sloppy Sue and Big Bone Billy. I would, I've always wanted to hear more about these people. You know, I've always, like, I, I'm always fascinated by the peripheral characters, and Neil Young had a lot of good peripheral characters. Totally. Yeah, and so I was a Powderfinger would be a great, you know. And again, Dylan, I don't hate Bob Dylan. Abasement tapes are fantastic, but it's just like, you know, go out. It's an interesting world. Don't play a show with Wilco. You know, having Wilco open for you is like, that's like the scarlet letter of music, you know. Here's something for all the dads in the audience. You know, I just, I, yeah. I thought, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, Young, uh, he went on tour with Sonic Youth and Social D back in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I never was a Sonic Youth fan. But, but I, I thought yeah, that but was I think cool that is, that's him. a big move, especially Social D, you know. Um, and that's just a, that's a you know ACDC wanted um, which is respect to them they wanted suicidal to tour with them back in the day you know that 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 is oh well Tool just took out three teeth for Christ's sake you know just I mean that, three teeth Tool had three teeth as one of the opening bands you only have three teeth no I will divorce you in the morning three teeth are an amazing band from L A just uh, they're part of that they're like youth code they're part of that whole sort of like angry sort of you know city revolution. There's a revolution going on, people. But you won't hear about it on the radio because it's all alt and indie rock. <laughs>
don't really like me, that's why I hate myself. Maybe it's cause of the way I look, or maybe it's something else. My room is such a pigsty, my floor has never been swept. But I've got a fuck off attitude, and that's something that should be kept in a fucked up world. I, I have some wine in me. I, I am a pretty good interview. <laughs> You're pretty good. I don't give a shit. That's the thing about me is I do not give a shit. If, 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 if not giving shit. Again, I go to uh, from Stephen Archer. I was talking to Don about what from Ego about what a great guy Stephen is, and Don's because Stephen doesn't give a shit what anybody thinks about him. And I've never given a shit musically. People won't talk bad about different bands. Well, you know, it won't, it'll hurt my career. I don't care. Just go and do your shit and be. Yeah, you know, but then uh, you always. What? Come on. If you're gonna call me out for some bullshit, no, I meet people. I'm nice to them, but I don't. Yeah. No, but you meet. It's not just that you meet people and you're nice to them. Mm -hmm. You meet people and you genuinely like them. That is true. I do. Yeah, I gotta say. Oh, you're talking and, and, about and, Kurt. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But he's not the only one. I used to. I Kurt Vile. I didn't want to hear his stuff because he was an indie rocker and everybody. And I met him, and he is. The sweetest fucking guy on earth, and it, no, that, but that is good. You shouldn't be. You know, we're talking about non-acceptance. I'm mad at the industry. I'm not mad at the people. And, yeah. Bullshit! You're always yelling at. The well, people. I'm always yelling at everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't think Kurt should have taken the money for the credit card ad, but <laughs> when you meet him, you know, I wouldn't take money for a credit card. We turned down. Seriously, we. Uh, I've always said, right now, if I taken the money. This interview would be taking place in my gold plated left Zeppelin while we snorted a mountain of cocaine. But the thing is well, that you, you wouldn't want to inter would you want to interview somebody like that? No, I wouldn't. You know, I'm not interested in you know Yeah, I mean But I will say Kurt Vile and his brother, the guy Jello Man, the guy who is like the high priest of jello shots. Um yeah, I did these weird jello shots with him. I like booze and drugs. <laughs> mm. I give Mikey Wild. Channel Mikey Wild. I totally channel Mikey Wild. I don't know if you ever met Mikey Wild. He was, a, he was the mayor of South Street. Mikey Wild is probably the greatest musician Philadelphia ever produced. Sometime in the late 70s, early 80s, in Philadelphia, this guy, Mikey Wild, decided he was going to be a a rock star. He was going to be filled. And we all said, okay. It was like Emperor Norton out in San Francisco where right. we said, all right, he's the emperor. And we said, yeah, we're with you on this. And uh, he died about two years ago, but he was... No, it's been longer than that. Now. Really? Oh, my God. Uh, he just was one of the nicest people on earth, but we all would go to his shows and he would just... I saw... One time I saw the cops, <laughs> show of his, and out in West Philly, and the cops showed up and they, first of all, they couldn't figure out why everybody was watching this guy. He was just, you know, this short, mentally challenged guy who would just sing off key. It was amazing. And, and the cops came in to raid the show, and then they're like, oh, what do we do? And then once the cops came on stage, everybody started yelling for songs by the police. They're like, Roxanne! Message in a bottle! And, that was that, and the cops couldn't deal with that either. That was a good night. I, I've had a lot of great nights. That was one of them. But, yeah, Mikey yeah. being mentally challenged, he yeah. would... That that was like a perfect like Mikey Wilde. Sentence, yeah, Mikey Wilde was just would, yeah he would just he would come up with philosophy where he he has a book and the book is amazing when you read it because the philosophy is fascinating in that it's philosophical statement followed by non sequitur and he's talking about <laughs> his friend of his who doesn't believe in God and Mikey says well I believe in God because why could have all these things happened to me just by chance I believe that there's something behind it and 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 that thing is God I like girls. <laughs> <laughs>
And you're like, way to go, Mikey. Way to go. We actually met at a Mikey Wild show. Yes. Oh, yeah. Morphine's and Mikey Wild. And we were, Mikey was doing all covers that night. Mikey's cover of <laughs> Smells Like Teen Spirit was fantastic. Oh, Mikey would not bother to learn all the words. So he's like, with lights out. Dangerous? <laughs> I remember, well, Alan Fien and I were punch. Well, God, we were losing uh, it. You, you weren't laughing started. with him. You were, you know, you were yeah. laughing at him. You were I laughing mean, with him. Some, yeah. There were some people that were cruel. And yeah, they but but they, him, but but, but Mikey laughed, didn't care. Yeah, Mikey led the life. I saw him one time play a show where he was playing keyboards and he accidentally unplugged them and he's yelling for more keyboards in the monitor. <laughs> Mikey, you have a, that was the night that, that hooker wandered in, sort of like older hooker, and she, to her it was like an episode of the Twilight Zone. She was like, she was grabbing people literally and shaking us, like grabbing by the collar of our shirts and shaking on. Why are you watching this? Why, why are you? And we're like, because he's a genius. He's not a genius. There's something wrong with him. And then she just gave up and kind of, uh, um, you know, just started enjoying it and dancing around. Hell yeah. Every now and then, something magical happens. All right, you have more questions yeah, I'm avoiding. I've got plenty of questions. Right. Um, okay, so you went to Temple? No, no, everybody else went to Temple. I went to University of Westchester. You went to Westchester? Yeah. So what were you doing hanging out in Philly going to University of Westchester? Well, no, that's where I went. I started hanging out in Philly when I was younger. I mean, the minute, and my nieces, at least, yeah, I guess both of them started doing this when they were younger. The minute you figure out how the train works, you want to get on it and come to Philly. <laughs> So I started coming to punk rock shows when I was in my late teens. And so Joe, and Joe was, by that point, Joe was at Temple. And Joe would say, hey, there's this band called Autistic Behavior playing. That's just how we met Dean. Dean was in a band called Narthax. They were opening for Autistic Behavior. It was just him and a drummer. Uh, long before the White Stripes had come up with that idea. Um, and he, um, so, you know, we would come in for shows. But I would go to college. What? Do you want water? No, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking strictly to booze because I'm doing the interview. I'm committing to the interview and the wine. Um, yeah, he, um, and, and I would come in, I, I always, but I started coming in when I was way younger. Actually, I started coming in, oh God, I guess I was in, I didn't know if I was in high school yet. I was definitely in junior high. You're going to hear a lot of things hitting, a lot of percussion on this for those of you listening at home. Yeah, it's and that's because we're sitting glasses that. down. Just assume those glasses are filled with more alcohol than you can imagine. Um, yeah, I started coming in because what do you do when you're out in the burbs? You come into Philly. My nieces would do it. They would come in and they would just do things like go to um, uh, Rittenhouse Square and just look around because, hey, I'm, I'm not in the burbs anymore. And Philly back then was beautiful. It was all dark and, and grimy. I always imagine it at night and it's cold and with tumbleweed blowing through it and junkies. And it's not like it is now where it's all gentrified. It was beautiful. It was absolutely, you could live here for so All we wanted to do was move to Philly and be in a punk rock band that people knew about. That's That was our goal. And, you know, yeah, so that, that kind of worked out. But, um, yeah, now I look around and I'm like, ah, it's not what it used to be. I always think about moving. And I'm like, well, don't want to cover this city. And then we thought about, I wanted to move to New Orleans because that was sort of the cheapest place we moved to. But I love New Orleans. My friends are all like, now nah, hipsterized too. It's gentrified. Yeah, yeah it is. You can't, mean, it's like invasion of body snatchers. No, nah, I mean, speak. when I lived there. Oh, you lived in New Orleans? Just for like. Huh three months, I was like, this is a story that my podcast listeners have heard, so I'll be quick about it. But I'll I was, embellish it. I was, getting, uh, I was getting hash in the mail for my friend in Oakland. But she needed hash to kill the vampires that live in New Orleans. She, didn't, she wasn't smoking it. If you rub hash oil on a steak, it and garlic are the only way. And if you're out of garlic, seriously, hash. Now, if you put hash in a bong, you can drink the bong water. It's true. 
Um, but yeah, somebody at the post office stole it, and so I. <laughs> but, but I called. That's them. the last thing we need is high people at the post office, as if they couldn't do their job less effectively. I called them, and they were like, "Oh yeah, no, the cops came in and got it. They're probably going to show up at the address that uh, you know it was supposed to be going to." So I like freaked out and like threw away my cell phone oh. and my. Oh my god! This is so what happened to me when I went in trouble with the Secret Service. <laughs> So I just like, yeah, I got on the first Greyhound bus and went to New Orleans. Oh. I was there for like three months oh my till I God. to like check it blew over. Pops oh my up. God, that's so wonderful. <laughs> um, Kyle Cassidy was doing a photo shoot and he needed to, uh, I had been at, long story, but I had been uh, working in a place that was near a uh, Barnes and Noble. And I would go in there and I'd look at the really weird magazines like Royalty, the magazine <laughs> for the Royal Watcher. And they'd have things like, you know, Princess Beatrice of Belgium. And I'm like, wow, these are real. And I found a magazine called, uh, um, what was it? Uh, oh, uh, Jane Austen Knits. And it was to knit things like from Jane Austen. And they, they, I found it. Knit your Mr. Darcy a warm pair of winter socks. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? So I took a picture of it and I tweeted it out. I, I, I think it was later on. I found I, I, this, this is what, living, being working there, that got me to know. It was like years later I saw the thing. And uh, Joan of Darknets had seen it. And she, um, she's like, I would knit those. And so Kyle did this thing called Geek Knits. And a lot of uh, people uh, wound up in it. Uh, Neil Gaiman was in it. Uh, Don and Steven from Ego Likeness. A lot of people, you know, Joel and the bots from Mystery Science Theater 3000. So I was really honored to be in it. But I'm in a duel in it. And um, Kyle needed a dueling pistol, like a fake one. And we tried to track one down. So finally sent away for one. And I'm in regular business meetings. And my phone is lighting up these messages from Kyle. And says, Rodney, we can't find the gun. It's lost at the post office. And all I can think is people going postal. I'm like, the last thing that people post office need is a gun, fake or not. It's, you know, <laughs> trying to inspire them to do something. I got in trouble once with the Secret Service, and this was back the only time in my life I ever was in the smoking pot. And uh, um, I, I called a girlfriend. Who was, I had a girlfriend who was a little slow on the uptake. And I called her. She was at her, her job. You know, when I say job, like the easiest job in the world. And uh, I called her and I said, listen, um, is there anything in the apartment that you would not want the cops to find if they should come here? Thinking she would just say yes, and then I'd figure it out. She went, I've got a bunch of pot in the... Oh, God. Yeah, just say it more loudly. In the You know what? Let's just hire one of those planes that flies a banner behind it. So this, is, this is a pattern of women. I have had, life. seriously, I have had, ever since I was young and read Vampirella, I've had a pattern of, and I thought, this is what I should model a relationship on, Vampirella. I've had, I, have, I have upstairs, I have the, um, in the closet, the Vampirella poster I got when I was like 11. And like the mod, I've modeled every woman in my life on that. Uh, I noticed a lot of things in my life changed when I lived. One of my first rock concert, I had my Vampirella poster. It was like my formative years. I should have been bar mitzvah at 11. That would have been great. <laughs> Today you are a man. Here's your Vampirella poster and your, and your yes tickets. And then Rick Wakeman would actually do the uh, Too light. We, we really digressed into a weird area on that one. For those of you at home, do the visual of Rick Wakeman in a rabbi outfit. <laughs> God, I wish I had, like, yeah, just, maybe I'll, like, Photoshop some. Yeah, you should, totally I Photoshop. Well, I used, to, I used to create instructions for my keyboards. I've got to get bring this back. Uh, one girl was fantastic. And I would just grab somebody out of the audience and I'd say, okay, you're my keyboard tech. And here, and I had these fake instructions, and I'd have the Mexican. Rick Wakeman, Senor Ricardo Wakemundo. <laughs> and, um, and I have pictures of Zug from Angel Spit, who is 
you know, Zug is just, like everything that comes out of his mouth is pure wisdom. And I would give them these instructions, and there was this one girl in, uh, I can't remember what city it was, I just pulled her out of the audience, and she was this wonderful wise-ass. I had, for my aunt, I had a Marshall Stack, and she was like, and she's saying this up in the microphone, like, Marshall Stack, are you overcompensating for something? She's like, you're a keyboard player. What do you need the Marshall Stack for? And she was so funny. And then what I did, I would do is, there's stuff I can play, anybody can play. And I, uh, particularly the stuff on, uh, um, on uh, Surfing Cow. And I would say, okay, here's what you do. Just come up and play it. And I just step away. And, let, and she nailed it. I mean, nailed, she, she just picked up instantly what needs to be played on the pads, what needs to be played on the keys. And uh, to me, that, you know, bringing somebody up like that and just saying, Look, you can do this. Why aren't you doing it? It, it is a sort of, you know, a, a life affirming thing. I hope these people go and form bands. I always tell people, look, three keys good. You know, three three chords good. Two chords better. One chord best. You you can do this stuff. Yeah, I mean totally. I mean that's definitely like kind of the thing of it, like being like, yeah, just like somebody having even like like a shred of confidence in your ability. Yeah, it's all confidence. You know, it's, it's, like, you'll, you'll figure out all the musical stuff. You know, back when I was young, I remember like the uh, um, the damned album. on the back said, this is a chord. This is another chord. And I'm like, <laughs> and the damned figured this stuff out as they went along. But you've just got to have that desire will get you through. I know people, and I've always said, I have a motto, which is there are people who can play an instrument, but they're not a musician. Right. And other people say, well, what happened to that bass player? Well, he didn't know the Mixolydian minor mode. I'm like, ah, you're not enjoying it, you know? Enjoy it. Damn it. Although for some people, maybe the challenge of an intro. You go to hell! Okay. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. You're, no. you're saying the I challenge of... Yeah, no, there is a challenge of that. But you know what? If you, if you know it and, and, you, and you meet somebody who just wants to play, be around the person who just wants to play. You know, that, that is, again, it's a Zug, uh, a Carl from Angel Spit, uh, has always great things. And yeah, he has always great wisdom. No, things I mean, I, I, I definitely enjoy the Ramones much more than Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, I can see where as a musician... Yeah. You would it want might, to expand, it, and yeah, but then you do that in the right way. You go, hey guys, listen, here, and I, we have songs that are in different modalities, you know, and... And, and you know, we actually have songs that are in like Neapolitan minor mode and stuff. But what happens is you kind of introduce it in a way. Not what? Not you know what? We don't need. To... <laughs> I'm not Italian. I don't have to play by your rules. But yeah, Carl's full of great advice. Like if someone's a train wreck, you have a choice in a Bjorn band. You have a choice between a guy who's a train wreck, okay, but a great musician, and a guy who is maybe not a great musician, but is a steady guy. We'll show up. Take, Take the steady yeah. guy. Take the steady guy. The train wreck will always be a train wreck. You can't fix him. If this guy doesn't look that great, yeah, get a stylist. You know, and, and again, Angel Spit are one of my favorite bands ever. It's the 10th anniversary of Cronkhouse coming up. And new Angel Spit album is out on, the, on June 6th. Um, okay. So, you're in the Dead and Milkman. You're still at, still at Westchester? Or are you... Did you graduate from Westchester? No, I went for, I, I majored in poli-sci. So two years of poli-sci is like eight years of everything else. <laughs> and then growing poli-sci is it makes you want to see the world. And I thought, oh, I'll just move to Philadelphia. Joe graduated. And I'm like, I'll just move, or I'll move to Philadelphia and I'll, I'll have a band. And that's why, and then I just hid from my parents after I dropped out for a couple of years. And uh, <laughs> I moved to Philadelphia and had a band. And well, I think we practiced for two years before we could get a show. 
there was really nowhere to play. And I think the first show we had was playing outside the Pine Street Beverage Room. So, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... No, uh, you know what the Pine Street Beverage... Yeah, the place yeah. where they used to sell crank later on. And yeah. It got closed down. But that's where, you know, that was like our first show. Well, in the first show, we played Harleysville Youth Center. And then we... And, and Johnny <laughs> Worcester, who's now in like a dozen different bands and, and is famous, I was in the opening band. But, um, yeah, that, that's, what you, that's what you did back then. You could not play anywhere in the city. The city did not want punk rock bands. You know, they wanted some sort of happy. So, and then we started playing punk rock shows. We were lucky to live in Philly because everything was open ended. You could have a really angry hardcore band. You could put a pellet, Eldridge Knight, the pellet. I mean, we played shows with him. You know, there'd be a sort of you know political band. There'd be a fun band. There'd be a rockabilly band. It was, it was amazing because all these bands that couldn't play anywhere else, the punk rock people were like, "Oh yeah, well, let's have you here." So that, that was great. That was you know, it, it was a. Um, I, I look back on it, probably it's a better time to be alive than it was. I, I, I was absolutely, you know, starving and, and had no money and just living where I could. But, you know, you, you just go, oh, that was great. and But I wouldn't live that way again. Um, Much happier now with music and you know, seeing shows. And Yeah, well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> I should point out, much happier with my wife. My wife totally saved my life musically. Because when I met my wife, I sort of musically stagnated. I'm like, it was a whole, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of Nirvana or grunge or, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't a Soundgarden kind of guy. And you kind of almost want to stop listening to music. And my wife's like, wait a minute, have you listened to Dead Can Dance? I'm like, well, I'm familiar with it. Here, listen to this. It's a beach party in Vietnam, surfing with the Viet Cong, cooking hot dogs with napalm, a beach party in Vietnam. part in a revolution and you feel like you brought the ball right up to and I don't know I, this is the closest I can come to a sports analogy right up to wherever the ball has to go and then somebody else carries it over the finishing line or whatever or in hockey into the net um, it was like I just remember like I, I always thought it would be killed over you know I thought it would be the butthole surfers I thought it would be you know there's Texas and the Horseheads. God, I love Texas. Texas and the Horseheads are this incredible band that should have been a million times better. 
felonious monster. Mike Mart was in both of those bands. And there were these great, great bands whom I thought it should have been. And then you're like, wait, it's these guys from Seattle playing Black Sabbath covers. And I'm not saying they were a bad band, but it's just it wasn't what I was into. And you're like, yeah, well, so much for that revolution. And you just don't want to listen to anything with a guitar in it. Fortunately, at that time, you know, my wife's like, oh, there's Rasputina, there's Dead Can Dance, there's Dresden Dolls, there. And I was listening to stuff like Liebach, so there, you know, I, right. I had that sensibility, and and I was pretty much open to anything. But I'm like, you know, I, I should have been listening to this. I should have been, you know. But yeah, I, I really, I, I seriously thought Killdozer would be like the new Beatles. <laughs> So like, Killdozer are one of the greatest bands ever. Anybody, uh, you know, their cover of uh, uh, "I Am," I said, you know, would anybody else? Nirvana wouldn't cover Neil Diamond, but Killdozer, <laughs> and they used them at the end of uh, um, they used their cover of "Good Love and Gone Bad" at the end of Old School, which is so happy. Yeah, I just have so much fun with those guys. I miss a lot of those folks. But so, like, I guess so, time period-wise, when that was happening, was that when you guys were on, like, Hollywood Records? Yeah, it was a pretty painful time, yeah. Yeah, Hollywood signed David Cassidy and lost a lot of their money signing David Cassidy. <laughs> I almost got arrested. I was so high. I swear to God, you should, this is long before I met you, but I was on the night I almost got arrested for trying to deface the David Cassidy billboard was the night I was probably on... I guess I was on the most drugs in my life. I remember when I know when that was. When Ken Funk was there for that one. That was in Connecticut. Um, I was on so many drugs, and I think Gibby from the Buckholes might have been with. I tried to deface a uh, um, a sign. Hollywood bought a whole billboard on Sunset Boulevard for David Cassidy, and the album went nowhere. And yeah, you know, that was kind of the end of that. I, I was actually we were on a Hollywood tour. Us, Mojo, Nixon, Cave Dogs, all were out on this tour. That was a great tour because we were playing Colorado Springs, Colorado, and a riot broke out. And people tore up seats and stuff. And I think they threw some of the stuffing on the seat. And Mojo made a beard from it. Mojo was from there. So he, got, he was headlining that night. And we were watching the news later on there interviewing this local woman who had somehow been at the show. And she said, they weren't musicians. They were hoodlums. I'm like, oh, you have given us the script for the rest of the show. Oh, I was on Mushrooms that night, too, at that show. Yeah, I used to love a lot of drugs. I, don't, I haven't taken drugs in so long. Um, I haven't taken drugs in like 25, 30 years. No. What? <laughs> oh no, I did do some drugs, you're right. But no, but that was pot, that doesn't count. No, I wasn't even talking about that. Oh yeah, no, cocaine. Yeah. No, that was before we were married. I used to love cocaine. Yeah, it was before we were married, but we that's went, I went to Okay, years. I went I went with some people to score some coke one night. This is a good story. And uh, They're um, actually friends of mine. Yeah. Well, don't, have to, don't drag them into this. We're leaving it very sketchy, but okay, yeah. Okay, Yeah, way to go. Just turn in your friends. Let's have their names and addresses. I went with some people to score some coke, and this is like the last time I did coke. Um, and Vienna and I weren't even married then, so this is over 20 years ago. And uh, went to this guy's apartment, and the guy had like a penthouse apartment, really super nice apartment, with like shag carpeting. So this is in the 90s, but it's so 80s, or so 70s, the shag carpeting. And he's cutting the coke. He's, he's selling them coke, but he's giving away more coke than he's selling, as coke people will do. And he's cutting it. And he's cutting it in big chunks. I mean, flake like you never saw. I'm talking flake like half the size of a penny. It's falling into the floor. And this is like, yeah, like $1,000 worth of cocaine. So I'm... Shit, what is wrong with you? Well, you're, you're, you're interrupting my cocaine story. That's the first thing that's wrong with you. Um, and you also you're dying me out for, for doing the cocaine 20 years ago. So, uh, And you're dying out your friends, who I was with. Uh, so I, uh, I'm like, I'm picking it up and I'm putting it in my nose and rubbing it on my gums. And these guys just thought it was funny as shit that I'm digging it. But it was like, 
And I'm like, guys, there are children sleeping in China. You need to do this coke that's in the floor. So I came back, and Vienna and I were dating, and she was in my apartment, and I was so wired on coke that I had to, in order to come down, I had her kept riding my bike around and around the around block. The block. Yeah. And she was and just sitting out on the, the stoop block. watching me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but what happened was... Uh, okay. So we get married. That's where you're going with this? Yes. Yeah, so um, we get married, and at my wedding, we had pitch, uh, we had kegs of yingling, and we had the reception, which was held in my parents' backyard. And somebody spills the uh, um, some yingling on the ground, and my mom jumps down on the ground and pretends to snort it up. And she, of course, knew nothing. The same people. Yeah, the same people were there with me. The night I was snorting, and they are now between somewhere between laughing and horrified. Oh my god! That was the last time I did. Yeah, I have not. Yeah, I've not done any drugs since then. And yeah, yeah, they couldn't. She's like, what, what, you're wasting it. That was also like my dad, who never drank beer, discovered yingling. So when my dad walks up to me, I've never seen him with any alcohol in him, walks up to me at the uh, thing, goes, Sean, what's this stuff called? And I'm like, oh my God, my dad's been drinking. I'm like, it's called yingling, Dad. Which is like the worst thing to tell somebody, like, what? Yeah, I'm trying to spell it out for him. And then I came home to visit. My dad never ate beer in the house. I came home to visit like a month later. And, and my dad's got, yeah, he's got cases and cases yeah. of yingling. He's a yingling <laughs> distributor. But Rodney's dad is also on. Oh, he covered Beelzebubba. That's my dad. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. See, it's impossible to go nowhere with these stories. They they all one leads into another. Yeah. You're okay. a certain age. I wanted to ask you about Burn Witch Burn, Ooh. and I want to ask you about the Philly Weekly column. The Philly Weekly column. Okay, I'll go backwards. The Philly Weekly column. Philly. Um, no, no. City paper. It was in the city paper? Yeah, city paper. Okay. Philly Weekly made me the mayor accidentally. Oh, um, right. I do remember. <laughs> I, I so love being the mayor. I, I was like the only thing I've really... Oh, that's our wedding picture over there, by the way. You can see what I look like with hair. And that's Vienna all in black. Yeah, here we go. And then that's... Uh, we had, we were married... Were black at the wedding? Yeah, we were married in a park in Fittler Square. And, oh, I love huh. Fittler Square. Yep, park. married by Mayor Barry of Marion, PA, who we, I kept thinking was Marion Barry. No, it was mm. Mayor Barry. I know, Marion but he was a great guy. Do you have braids or is this a veil? That's a veil. That's a veil, yeah. You look beautiful. And she picked Thank up that you. she picked up that wedding dress for like a hundred bucks. Now the people at home Less are not seeing that. the photo. Maybe we can post the photo. I got it. I got it. I swear you got this. And then they had it. They had that dress for like. $1,200 in the window somewhere. It's like the same dress. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, well, I got it for twenty. Yeah, I know you did. <laughs> I'm wearing, what I'm wearing costs hundreds and hundreds. I, the, the top hat I'm wearing, the person who sold it to me convinced me that it had been worn at Warren G. Harding's inauguration. And he's pointing to a picture of all these people on top hats going, that's the one. I'm like, Oh, good. And then my jacket, I needed to have a charcoal jacket. And, uh, and it, yeah, it was supposed to come from England, and it was running late, and we were just all nervous. But, um, yeah, so the... Um, you guys got married in Filler Square? That's so beautiful. Oh, Filler Square. We were the first people ever get married there. Yeah. We lived nearby there, and we were just walking by, and they go, let's get married here. We live near here. We didn't, you know, don't want to get married in church. We want to, And it turned out to be a fantastic wedding. So I was, I was, and then people started getting married there later. But we had to get a lot of permits to get married there, and then they eased it up on everybody later. My best friend growing up, like, lived at 23rd and Dolancey. That was, like, your Oh, oh my God. That must, oh, she God. must have yeah. some money there, yeah. Yeah, her parents' house was amazing. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. I've always wanted to live. Well, I have money. I live on Delancey Street. I think the, uh, um... I think Dave from uh, Metropolis Records, all I know he has a lot of money, he lives on Delancey Street. I keep trying to get him to invite me over. I'm like, I did a, a song on, no, not, not quite the same thing. I'm like, oh, 
Oh, but I work with a lot of your... No, no. And then um, <laughs> our, our um, late bass player, Dave Blood, his brother Joe is with Metropolis. His brother Joe's one of the funniest people on earth, so it's always always good seeing him. But the... Uh, um, no, I did a thing called Ader and Babe uh, for years for the, uh, the city right. paper. And it kind of stopped being fun. It's sort of the same thing, you know, over and over again. I did it for maybe five years. I kept a lot of those. I, I like to write. I think of myself really as a writer, mostly, but I just keep getting sucked into music. Yeah, I, mean, I remember reading it. I used to read the Philadelphia Weekly and the Sydney paper mm-hmm. on the way to school every day. Aaron Bay was a lot of fun to write because it was just these weird, you know, you pick something from a country and you just get the CD and you're just like, okay. This is, and <laughs> I tried to base it on the reviews I would read when I was young in Cream Magazine that never had a goddamn thing to do with the music. You'd start reading a review of somebody's record, and like a paragraph in it would just evolve into how much the author wanted to kill James Taylor. And you're like, huh. you're like, wow, this is really like Cream Magazine. Just I'm lucky to have found it and have lived in that space of time because it totally it totally formatted how I thought about things. You know, there was Cream Magazine, there were Monster Magazines, there was just stuff for weirdos back then. Then until the internet, you just sort of didn't get. I, I love that sort of stuff, and that was the whole point of Adrian Bate. I'm like. And, and what happened was Adrian Bay, I tried to stick some good music in there. And it's just sort of, I, I hate to say it, it's one of the things I kind of lost interest in. I love Patrick, who was my editor there. And we had a little falling out a while back. But we, uh, um, I really, I, I love having a weekly column. I, I, I'd kill to have a weekly column again. But there's just there's the free. Well, and the free weeklies aren't what they used to be. The free right. weeklies were where the weirdos went for entertainment. They yeah, were right. fantastic. Remember, you were young. You probably saw me like, this is why I want to live in Philly. This is where. And now it's all because people need to get paid for content. Well, it's, yeah, yeah. I, I used to be like writing the Trina Masterman yeah. when I was like in middle school and stuff, yeah. and I would like read columns a lot. Yeah, this is so, so odd. Like, I do like remember that anything goes column. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. The, it wasn't a column. It was like the, the like classifieds, but it was like the kinky classifieds. The, yeah, the kinky classifieds. Oh my god, no! The uh, I hate you. I love you. Which oh, I, I love, love you. I hate you. I love I that had, more I than that. I saved so many of those because they were so bizarre. I've had two that were written to me because people like knew that I was into them. My I favorite thing was them, like, the woman them. giving advice to the woman that she was cheating on. The woman, she, the yeah. woman was cheating with this woman's husband, and. She's like, you know why your husband's over my house? You don't yeah, play with his balls. They're like a Christmas up. ornament. Yeah, I, I remember that. Like my friend Larry and I at work would just read those and laugh our yeah, asses off. Yeah, I love you. I hate you. It's really my favorite I, thing. I, they just, so I think they actually made like a book or something of them at one point. Those were, and you you just read these things, and it was it was such a paper for weirdos. Now it's about selling advertising. It's like, hey, it's go to the Roots it. picnic. I you know, know, I know. Or yeah, they're like, uh, have you checked out the Rice Free Period? Yeah, you know. Yeah, one of them had like you know the the you know the the chicest hipsters in the city. I'm like, you know, that's oh not my what, god, yeah, yeah you will yeah, burn in hell for this. Yeah, the most attractive hipster. Yeah, hipster hotties. I was happy that I didn't know. I wanted to set those on fire. <laughs> it used to be so great. But there was originally there was a thing that was horrible. It was called like the welcome mat, and it was sort of like oh, the upscale. I like the welcome. The welcome mat has most, but Kiki Olson Gomez used to write for it. She had this like privileged view, and then things got weirder and weirder. And eventually, the city. When I when I was writing for the city paper at its sort of height, you could not have had a better time in your life. The, we would go to we have a, you know these big parties, and the you know the guy who was the owner of it would be there. And I remember one time. We were at one of the parties and we all wanted to smoke pot. I didn't smoke pot, but everybody else did. So we went and we rang a doorbell. This is, we were having a party at the Kyber. We rang a doorbell, so people lived behind there. Hi, we're up in the city paper. Can we come up and get high on your balcony? And they're like, yeah. We all went up there. And so, and it was, but it was just a great thing. Like, everybody drank excessively. Um, my, I think that's my, probably still true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, 
you know, my, my friend Mr. Hickey, who got ran over and survived, and we all knew he was going to be fine, um, used to write for it, and, and, and we, I mean, it was just, you had that sort of tough writer feel. You actually felt like, almost like a Hemingway, like, ah, bang, well, this thing out, it's awesome. Well, the columns were just, like, so distinctive. Like, it was. It, everybody it, who was writing a column, like, had, like, a specific, I, I just, like, I, You I, were so happy with your other writers that you just wanted to keep hanging out with them, yeah. Yeah, like, I read the alternative weeklies, like, religiously as, like, yeah. a, you know, preteen and teenager, because well, just, like, if you were looking for music, it's what you had to do, school. you know. Yeah. Yeah, and they stop that. What happened was it went from being back in the day, and again, I'll use Kildozer as an example. When you picked up the, the um, free weeklies, there'd be a big thing like, let's say, um, I don't know, uh, pick a pick a, like a wimpy band. I don't know. We'll, we'll say Sticks. Like Sticks is playing in town. And we say, Sticks, it'd be a little parry. Sticks is playing in town. A little parry. <laughs> Sticks is playing in town. Don't go. Yeah, and then yeah, they'd be like, Kildozer. Like, like, yeah. And then they reverse themselves. And they began writing totally. about the popular bands. And they're saying, Mumford and Sons are playing in town, and there'd be like eight column spaces, and there'd be nothing about like the, the cool sort of weirdo bands that were playing. And that's that's when I jumped ship, and I had yeah, I just I just was not happy. I just kind of, and I'm always good about turning in columns, but I was writing for other people, and I'm like, look, it's not what it used to be, and maybe we should, you know. And I used to use Ader and B to smuggle in all these weird industrial bands, and and I did that for. It's like six, seven years I did a year in Baden. I just, I hated to see it die, and the silly, silly paper died not I long know, after. I was so sad the city paper died. City paper was just, it was depressing to see it go, and you could watch it go. It was like watching like an old person die, where it get thinner and thinner, is on life support. And for those of you not listening, uh, someone's breaking into tears, and it's not me. I'm uh-huh. really emotional. Uh, I know you're so emotional. <laughs> also, we filled you probably full of six bottles of wine. It's not me. <laughs> I, I don't know. You keep <laughs> I feel like Bill Cosby. Why don't you have a little bit more air to drink? I'm going to put some shooters in your jello pudding and then you're going to get sleepy and you're going to wake up and then I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to sneak out. Yeah.
bag over my head. Let's talk about Burnwich Burn. Oh, Burnwich Burn. I love being in Burnwich Burn. My liver didn't love being in Burnwich Burn. But yeah, well, Burnwich Burn was part of that whole where you, you, you don't know what to do. In other words, you, you don't want to make music with guitar anymore because everybody's trying to sound punk rock. You want to do something different. And Vienna and I, and I married my wife without knowing she could sing or play violin. So it was a big surprise there. And I bought her at one point for Christmas a little toy violin, <laughs> and she got the best sounds out of the toy violin. I was playing the toy violin. And so I got, you know, I'm like, I need to get you a real violin. You can play, you can sing. And then we had been at a, uh, a picnic. We ran into my friend Wild Bill Ferguson, who was in, had been in bands like the Fondas and stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I won't play guitar anymore. Wild Bill's a, a whole another story. He's like, I want to play guitar more. I like playing bazooki and mandolin. Like, well, we're looking and we began to put this thing together and Burnwich Burn was fun but we just drank so much. Um, <laughs> really. And I didn't know Vienna had stage fright. So um, Vienna suffers from stage fright. So, it depends. What? It depends. Like I, with the band, I had oh, I wish you said fright. it depends because I had, you know, with the band, I see. Yeah. <laughs> but when I was, when I was a go-go dancer, mm -hmm. I didn't have any stage fright. Okay, but we really couldn't work the go-go dancing into the band. Yeah, <laughs> I, I that's kind of odd. That's like a totally different. It's so much easier to be performative, like in a physical way <laughs> than a musical yeah, way. Yeah, I don't know. Like it, maybe I if people would have put dollars in your waistband during the Burnwich Burn set, you'd been okay. I know. I should have thought of that. Thought well, of yeah, it. Yeah, you just need the positive confirmation. Like, well, she just came to me and she said, "Look, I've got." She's like, boss. "I've got to get drunk before every show to get up there," and I'm like, "Well, okay, I'll, I'll end the band now." And we had. I think we had a good run. I loved doing that band, and I just you we know, used to have so much fun. It was I just mean, so it was, it was so anti everything. It was just so dark and angry, and you know, it was like the ant. You know, you know we, we, we played shows we with Joe got, doing his thing, which is really positive and upbeat. And it's sort of stagger on the stage. But, I mean, we all got along really well. We all got along fantastically. I, As a matter of fact, Rodney and I had moved in with our friend Steve, who was the bass, bass player. player. We shared a house with him, and, and Steve was probably of all the people I've ever been in bands with, he was the most like me. You know, he's the most. We were on the same wavelength. Unfortunately, he died a couple of years ago. Yeah. And uh, people were like, "Who put the band?" And I'm like, "No, nah, no, not Steve." And it's just you know, and and it's just uh, we we played his memorial thing. And you Todd, know, but, when we played the memorial yeah. show it, it really you know oh none of us we were like with, yeah we with, couldn't to deal see with brett and todd yeah. again and bill we see around, brett didn't play the memorial show but i saw mm. him around the same time oh yeah yeah that's no, true we saw him drive, yeah, yeah. But it, it was just really weird he was in baltimore at yeah. the time couldn't, yeah, do, couldn't it. do it yeah it was just really odd it was just like you're like you, you kind of flash back and realize, well, we had this great band. And you can say, well, we could have done this or that with it. But the thing is, well, we had a great band. Now, a lot of people, you came and said they had a great band. But you know, more, more so than having a great band, we had great friendships. Mm. You know? That was the great thing about that band was, you, you know, but you had to play, you had to be an insane musician. You had to be able to play several instruments. You had to, and you really had to be dedicated to it. You had to be playing this, you know, Irish folk stuff. You had to be playing... I was writing gypsy stuff. I really like gypsy music. We were all over the place, and we would do covers of Sisters of Mercy songs. You know, we you had it, but you right, had to be I mean, pushing. Like, I think it's a cool band because it's like so sort of such a insane departure. I thought we could we could have played them to start steampunk. We played them on us on steampunk shows all the time. Well, I yeah. mean, you guys don't need to claim steampunk. No, but we could have claimed it. We if we'd have made everything with steampunk, we'd, oh, we invented this. But yeah, you know. true, true. Would have been great. What? 
<laughs> no, I'm saying we came very close. I was like, no, we should house this stuff in these weird brass things. And then I, I dismissed that. I, I have like a million dollar idea every now and then. I've, I've, I've had all these great ideas. I've dismissed it. And I'm like, and then later on, I'm like, wait, no. Oh, it's like Bromwich Brown. We should have done that. Alright, so the last thing that I want you to rant about, because we're over an hour, and you sort of touched on it, but basically... Yes, bad touch. It's bad touch. (laughs) And Um, then I gave some jello shooters, and I had the bad touch, and the junkyard band's gonna sing a song about it. That's my Bill Cosby impersonation for this. I'm going to go to hell for this interview. Yes, go on. What was your last question? I'm hashtagging Bill Cosby. Yeah. Hat blame Phil Collins. <laughs> All right, yeah. Phil Collins, mm. Bill Cosby, they were like super tight. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd said that. Um, it's great. Philly, it's like comparatively, you're still here. We yeah. think about leaving. You're still playing, or you are again playing dead mill punches. Mm. Like, what's your take on Philly right now? Like, do you think Philly, it's worth a shit? Are you know, you it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> worth a shit when I moved here, and it was. Uh, there's always an underground. That's the thing that people don't realize. The underground is the thing that's the most, you know, oppressed and hidden in the world. When I lived here, when I first moved here, it was all like sort of new wave bands, you know, and the Hooters were considered new wave, and you know, like the Bells, and, stuff. and that's what they wanted you to be. And then there was a sort of like underground contingent, you know, like Decontrol. Us, the stick men, the stick. We, I moved here because the stick men were here. Stick men were probably the greatest band in the history of Philadelphia, and they're probably the biggest weirdo band. Um, I think that there's what we're being sold now as Philly. You know, we're sort of being sold the sort of happy, clappy music. You know, hey everybody, I here's a band called Smile and Be Happy, and they're playing at the Spaghetti Transfer. You know, and you're like, oh god, no. But there's always that undercurrent of anger. I always think it'd be great, like, you know, my contribution was I, I could keep the undercurrent of anger alive. But um, it, it's tough, because I go see shows now in Wilmington. You know, this this uh, Friday, God Module, we're playing with Altered Air Ruin in Wilmington. show I'd like to see. It's in Wilmington. Uh, Newark is Velvet Acid Christ with Altered Air Ruin. W- what's between those two cities? Philadelphia. I see shows all the time where they'll say, oh, and, you know, we're playing, we're playing Baltimore, Wilmington... Lancaster and New York, and you're like, why? Why are you skipping Philadelphia? And then I realized there really is nothing here. I was talking to Brian from yeah, I was talking to Brian from Velvet Acid Christ today. You know, Philadelphia has always been sort of on the outs of. And then uh, years ago, I was interviewing. I was doing interviews. Guys like, so Philly's having a punk rock revolution now. A lot, and I'm like, what are you talking? And he starts naming all these alt rock bands that are the least punk rock thing ever. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. And I just I said in the interview, I said, look, I'm sorry. That is, those are sort of, you know, mainstream, easy listening, you know, or, or sort of, you know, happy, clappy band. I go, that's not, I don't mean to, to hurry my feelings, but that's not punk rock. There's no way right. that I would say, I was reading an interview, like one of the bands, and the one girl's wearing like a Sleater Kenny shirt. Sleater Kenny are the, I, I'm sure they're nice people, but they're not a punk rock band, you know. And they're like, oh, this is punk rock. And I'm like, oh, God, please just stop, you know. And there's a lot of stuff out there that isn't called punk. Um, some people will call it goth industrial. Some people will call it witch house. Some people will call it cyberpunk. But it is punk. It's much more punk than, you know, I, I've bumped into people now who want to recreate, um, Oh, um, you know, like Minor Threat or Fugazi and stuff. Well, that's all we play. I'm like, no, you missed the boat. And it's okay to miss the boat. You know, it's fine. I, you know, it's okay to miss a boat 
there, there's another boat coming. Be on the other boat. You know, be on the boat. Be on the other weirdo boat. Start something new. It's much better to start something new than to try to latch on. With the Milkman, when we got back together and started playing, we said we won't do this unless we're making new music. Unless we're making something that doesn't sound, you know, and we keep exploring sonically new areas. I, I couldn't go back and I see bands that'll play like, or they're playing all of this album. And I could Gary Newman slack for doing it, but he's the only one I'll cut slack for doing it. Oh, so and so playing all of this album. Like the Pixies played all of, you know, would play all of. Uh, Doolittle or something like that. I'm like, don't do that. That's the opposite of punk rock. Nostalgia is the opposite of punk rock. People are excited about seeing the, the Misfits. I'm not. I don't want to see that because I haven't bought a Misfits album in 30 years. No, I know. I mean, Chip, Chip asked me if I wanted to interview them. And I said, oh my no. God, I can't imagine. You turned a good, wise move. Well, I, you well, know, I don't know what I would ask. But, you know, ask, about, ask about French onion soup. I'm, um, <laughs> We had a guy who was, our, we were playing in Texas, and there was a guy who was our sort of road manager, a guy who was getting our equipment, and he had been at Fun 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 Fest when Danzig played. And uh, Danzig first comes in, he's like, oh, I don't know, I can play a show, I don't feel very well. And they said, and then he got upset because Slayer had a bigger stage. He said, I'm not going on unless I get a bigger stage. And then, so then he's demanded French onion soup. He demanded, he's like, I have a call, so he, I demand French onion soup. So they bring him. This poor guy brings him the French onion soup. And he goes, you call this French onion soup? The cheese isn't even melted. So that's what I'd ask him. But here's the thing. People will go to see that. I can't stop people from going to Riot Fest to see um, Misfits. But what I can say is, if you go there, on the bill, in the small print, is a band called Three Teeth that you should really, really go see. Because they kick ass. Go see Three Teeth. You know, um... That's, that's my whole thing. I don't like festivals. I'm on the outs with some of my other band members who like the money from festivals and like, you know, and aren't into this, you know, aren't into music. And, you know, and I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. I, I, you know, it, it's a democracy. If it's a three to one boat, I'm outvoted. I'll go. I'll try to have fun. But um, really, seriously, people, you know, and the sad thing was we, we did Riot Fest last year and I was riding in a car with Caustic saying how much I didn't want to do it. Oh, God. It's, you know, always, and he said, oh, no, don't worry. Weezer played it last year, so you don't have to worry about Weezer being on the bill. And of course, like Weezer were on the bill. I'm like, oh, and I God. was like, but look, you're going to be on the bill with, with the Damned. Yeah, now the Damned was great because I grew up with the Damned. But I called that. Yeah. I, I called but that. But that's what kept me sane because I was like, I'm going to meet the Damned and I met the Damned and they were fantastic. And I got to see Echo and the Bunny Men, who were fantastic. And I got to see Lemmy right before he died. He was like, hi, mate. And I got a little thumbs up. I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then uh, that was him leaving his dressing room. And then I stood there, because you're in awe when Lemmy points. You're the only person, the only person out there. It's like, it's like the finger of God. It's like the, the Sistine Chapel, you know? And um, I thought, wow. And I'm standing there, because you can't move. You know? and, uh, and then the door opened again, and like four or five young ladies came walking out. So I just like to say, <laughs> Lemmy died with his boots on and a smile on his face. Uh, yeah. He did. Of course. Yeah. He, 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 yeah. If you're going to pick which line to be in, he died in that long line. He, yeah, so I mean that was okay, but I really I would much rather play something like Cold Waves or um, or uh, oh god, where we well I played uh, um, last year. I was lucky, but I didn't do it in Milkman. Where right? No, I stepped on one of the cats. Which one? No. My wife just stepped on one of the cats. For those of you who say, "What? Hang on, people at home, I'm going to take this with me. I'm going to go investigate stepping on the cats." All right. So my wife just stepped on the cats. So just so you have every second of this. Which kitty was it? You're right, hon? All right, we're going up the steps. Well, I know you're worried about the cats. Oh, my God, you took fur. You did like the Obi a while ago. Oh, my God, your cat's bald. All right, hold on. You stay back because they're not going to go near you. All right.
Oh my god, now I have more hair than the cat, which uh, I think you stepped on Lenore. Lenore, are you okay? I'm going to interview Lenore. Meow if you're okay. Her, her tail's all fuzzy, hon, so you must have stepped on her. Um, yeah, this is some exciting... Wow, this interview took a weird turn. I'm going to turn the light on. I don't know. Oh, Lygia's in her box, so let's make sure Lygia didn't get... Eh, Lygia's just happy Lenore got hurt. Hang on. Uh, let me look at your tail. Nope. You're good. You're okay. All right. So, for those of you at home, don't worry. Lenore and Lygia are okay, but my wife is traumatized for life for stepping on the cats. See, this is like action interview. You got this. You got a little peek, a little insight into the hell that is my life. Um, oh, Sparky, they're okay. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you don't owe me for checking them out when they were dangerous. Because two black cats will rip your arm off. Here we go. I, I'm sorry, I had to hijack your. I had to hijack this. What time is it? Oh my God, it's like nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah. We've been drinking and interviewing all night. Yeah, we've definitely. But it ended on a, it ended with excitement. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Nope. Thank, oh, no, I'm my crashing face. my house. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm crashing my house. Rodney, thank you so much. Thank you. We're shaking hands now. Fiona, thank you. Are you done? Yeah. You want to hang out so. and have some more wine? Um, I should go home. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, that wraps it up. Um, I'll post Rodney's list of stuff that you guys should listen to, as well as a billion places to find him and his radio show and the Dead Milkman, etc., on the website. That's www.tastevampirepodcast.com. Um, you can email me at interviewplz at tastevampirepodcast.com. If you'd like to be on the show, you can um, message me at music at tastevampirepodcast.com. If you'd like to have your music on the show, you can message me at concerns at tastevampirepodcast.com because you want to bitch. Um, feel free to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, etc. Um, and let me see. What else? What else? What else? Oh, um, I'm going to hit you with my recommendations. My first recommendation is a um, Ian William Craig um, song called A Single Hope off of this album called Centers, which is out on uh, Fat Cat. It's like so good and weird and beautiful and like extremely orchestral and composed, but like also sort of dark and analog sounding. Um, I think it's really great. I'll post a link to it. Um, uh, my second recommendation is an album, um, called Terrible Lizards by Science Fiction. Um, it came out in 1980, apparently. Um, and I found out about it because I read, uh, this great review that my friend Jordan wrote of it in Decoder, and it's, like, so great. So, um, I guess it had only been available, um, in LP beforehand, but now it's available for download from, um, Bandcamp, so that's pretty exciting stuff, uh, especially the side B is, like, amazing. Um, so I'll link to that as well. Um, lastly, I'd like to recommend, um, Alpha Piscium, uh, by Emotion Sickness of Time Travel. It's a 2014 release. Um, it's, I mean, I, the band camp for Emotion Sickness of Time Travel is kind of insane. Literally everything is up there. There's something like, like 20 or 30 different releases that you can listen to, which is pretty insane, and they're all, I mean, I'm working my way through it, but everything I've listened to so far is pretty amazing, so just, like, delve into that whole band camp, but specifically, I recommend the Alpha Piscium, um, release, um, just, like, beautiful ambient music, um, so that's that, that's gonna wrap up the interview, until next week, I am Rosie, and you have been listening to Taste Vampire.